This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Take this sinking ship and... And point it home. Yeah. Na, na, na. Yeah. Oh, man. Romance Spoiler is in alert. the air, everyone. Romance is in the air. And can I tell you a secret, Vanya? Yeah. Please. I had never seen the movie once. Are you serious? Until this afternoon. <gasps> yeah. And I'm dying to know because it it's like a formidable moment in my life because we, uh, I was like, you know, really into the film circuit, man, and like Sundance. Well, and, and yeah. I've always been such like a big musical person. And obviously, even though it did become a musical, it was a film that where the actors like do a lot of singing. That's always been my mm-hmm. bag. And I remember that I knew, you know, at least the song. Right. Falling slowly. And I don't know how or why I never saw it, but I yeah. never saw it until around 3 p.m. Today. Yeah. Pacific Standard Time <laughs> um, on today. Well, you know. It's today, the, the 6th of March, 2022. Wow. That's amazing. It is actually its 15 year anniversary. Okay. So spoiler alert. Let me just preface. We are doing the romantic movie we are doing today is Once. That was that came out in 2007 and it was it premiered at Sundance. It is an indie film, like a true indie film. And I was talking to my husband, Adam, because he and I worked on a show with some friends that we we made it for a little bit less than they these people made once. And wow. it's made with one of those when they first when when cameras that were like nice enough to actually make a film sort of like. The normies could like make a film sort of. Anyway, you still had to have money, but like, anyways, it brought back a lot of memories. And also, if you can hear right. my children screaming, I'm so sorry. I can hear them in the background. They're just, just. I think it adds a really nice Sunday, ambience. everyone. Just makes it real. It's true. We're real people. We We're are. We're not in booths. We should be in booths. <laughs> We're not. Once we start making the big bucks, we'll get a booth. That's right. Oh, give me That's a booth. Right. But yes, once the musical. And I love that you saw it. And I'm dying to know what you think about it. Should we just dig well, in, guys? Hi, let's, it's I March. mean, yes. We're, Hi. We love you all. We're here. We had stuff go on, I'm sure. But let's just talk about this movie because it also is so fresh in my mind, seeing as I just. Yes. I absolutely loved this movie. I Well, I loved the music. I loved 
how intimate every moment felt. Mm -hmm. So much so that after I watched it, I started like Googling stuff about it. So I know that, you know, most of the locations that weren't on the street were actually like the real homes of the people making and the actors in the movie because they couldn't afford Mm -hmm. like like location. Um, I I felt both like, oh, that song um, Falling Slowly is just a song that will give you all the feelings. But when it ended the way it ended, I was like, oh, what? I know. I know. What? This isn't your what? typical. What? If, if you what? have not seen Once, everyone, uh, you can rent it on Amazon. That's what I did. That's what I did. And you could also do Voodoo, but I don't have Voodoo. You can Voodoo? rent it on Apple TV to anything that'll let you pay for stuff. Yeah, three ninety nine uh, to rental. stream it. You can find it. But it is but not I your typical. It, it's not no. your typical happy and ending it's, necessarily. It's, it's definitely an ending that felt. Like the right ending, Mm -hmm. but not what I expected with this sweeping epic romantic music that these two people are making together and clearly falling in love with each other. And then to see them, you know, make the decisions or go through with decisions they had made before maybe they realized they were in love with one another. Mm. um, Just kind of like devastated me. But also Mm. I felt hopeful that this wasn't the end of their story. We just weren't going to see it. And part of me thinks that might have been wise because, you know, like the main actor is probably a dude in his 30s and the girl was 17. So I didn't need to see them physically show that they were into each other because I think that would have actually yicked me out. Wait, how do we know she's 17? Did I miss that? Uh, We know that the actress who played her was 17. Oh. Yeah. She, they never specify her age. I think she's meant to be like 20. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Early. But she was a 17-year-old girl when she filmed the movie. And that is a man clearly in his late 20s, but I'm going to go more like early 30s. Yeah. So part of me also thinks like maybe legally speaking, they were like, y'all can't touch each other in the movie. Oh, that could um, be. I mean, yeah. you know, or that the director was just kind of like, I think that it's more magical for it just to be kind of this idea of the two of them more than showing us. Because I think that would have yicked me out. Yeah, well, okay, so the writer and the director are the same person. It is written and directed by a man named John Carney, not the John Carney that we used to know that uh, frequented our bar. Um, and the film stars Glenn Hansard and Marketa Irglova. And they play struggling musicians in, I guess you could say, they're both struggling, but more so um, Glenn uh, in Dublin, Ireland. Um, it The movie sort of starts out as he's busking and some sort of druggie steals his, his guitar case and he runs after him. And it's this whole thing. But his music's really good. And later on that night, we see him singing like one of his original songs and it is powerful and amazing and so good. And she walks by. Scratching out the surface now And I'm trying hard to work it out And if you have something to say You better say it now Cause this is what you've waited for Your chance to even you know what's funny is he's known as guy and she's known as girl in this movie. Yeah, they never use their names. Yeah. <clears throat> Which kind of works too. It's not really yeah. a- about more than the music they make together in a sense. It's and true. And the art and like the passion and like creativity they bring out in each other. But I, I thought that was kind of fun. Like they, ne- I don't know how they got away with it. I know she says to his dad at one point, like your son is really talented instead of his name. 
Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, when he goes to her house to say like goodbye, and he's like, "Is she here?" Yeah. You know? No, like, they never use each other's name. Yeah. Um, this movie is long because it has full songs, multiple full multiple. musical episodes, but they're it's worth it. It's it's a nice and we my husband and I were like, "Man, this movie looks like shit." But it the thing is, is it just doesn't look like you see the cameras, the digital cameras that you can get now to make films like this are so much uh have advanced Better so now. much since yeah um but she's she's walking by at night and she hears him and she gives him 10 cents and he's kind of a dick about it he's like thanks for 10 cents uh but they get to talking and you know she finds out that he also is a hoover cleaner and i don't know if you guys know what a hoover is but it's a vacuum and she she's like oh my my hoover is uh broken she's actually from czechoslovakia in real life this actress is czech and is icelandic um oh, cool yeah she's super cool and anyway she the next day she finds him while he's busking in the street and <laughs> i love that she, she brings her up she's yeah. like dragging her broken vacuum cleaner it's, a, it's such a poetic side. like image and i'm like this is like perfect and hilarious and beautiful and he's like i can't really take it right now she's like she convinces him. She's the one thing you find out about her throughout this movie. She's pretty convincing. She can convince banks and all kinds of people to do the things yep. she wants. And he takes her to eventually to get his her um excuse me her Hoover fixed. I put he repairs her vacuum if you know what I mean. But no, he does. <laughs> At this point, it's lunchtime. This guy around the corner. I play the piano. He lets me play the piano. So she goes into the store. She brings him in with her. And this is actually before they fix the Hoover. I think. And uh, yeah, I think it's the lead up. So when she yeah. met him the night before and found out he could fix her Hoover. And let's just say that as many times as we can yeah. during this episode. Fix her Hoover. She's immediately curious about who he's written his original song about. And she's very. I love it. She's got like no boundaries in terms of she just asks what she wants to know so she's like tell me about this girl are you going to go after her are you going to get her back and he's like no no Ex she's gone I don't want her back. me yeah bad lady um and then they go grab a bite to eat and he finds out that she plays the piano and she knows of a place to go and so they go play music you're right that's pre it's pre Hoover fixing Hoover and <laughs> she it's it's cool because she plays like something and he's like did you write that and he's like it's Me she's like it's Mendelssohn or whatever and he's like it's good uh, and then <laughs> then he's like well would you you know she actually is like play something can we play something new and he's like should we and they play the song falling slowly and you know that song is amazing oh oh Av let's play the trailer right now because I feel like okay. the trailer is like kind of gives you a little tasty taste for this let's whole thing let's do it da, 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 da. Who'd you write this song for? She's gone. She's dead? No, she's not dead. He's gone. My father used to play in the orchestra back at home. You don't want to go for a walk or something, huh? Make it work. See, 
Okay, so so you know, it gives you you feel you feel the vibe of the music. It's mm-hmm. if you don't know this song, and honestly, you may not have seen this movie, but I I, I totally you probably know the song. I recommend it. It was also a Broadway musical, which makes complete sense after watching Absolutely. this. Absolutely, yep. Um, so and it won the Oscar for best song. Song. Mm-hmm. So they have an for Oscar. So Marquette and, and Glenn to, have an Oscar. Yeah, they do. Uh, I also love that it the way that he teaches her the song. There's no way that as an audience member, like you too, also know how the song goes, like in your bones. Yeah. Like it's, and then later on, they go to her house, and he finds out that she has a toddler, and someone who she's quote unquote left or and or her mother lives there. Her mother takes care of her toddler, and she's actually sells flowers during the day. And she just mm-hmm. so happened got a great job cleaning houses, but struggling. You know, these are she's an immigrant in Dublin, doing her best and struggling. But she strikes up this friendship with this guy who he really does want his ex girlfriend back, but also doesn't, and is also they have like a magical night together and. He's like, you stay over, stay with me, and she's like, no. She goes, fuck this. I had to rewind it. Yeah. I'm like, did she just say fuck this? She did. She says, yeah, because she's fuck basically this. like, thank you so much for you know, playing music with me and being like real with me and fixing my Hoover. And then he's like, we should probably sleep together now. And she's like, uh, you just ruined everything. You ruined the whole wonderful day we had together. There's a point. Um, I agree. When he asks if she still loves her husband, the girl answers in check. Miluji Tebe, which means I love you, and but she coyly declines to translate. So I thought that's something you don't know because they don't translate it, even though I watched it with subtitles because I sometimes the accents were a little bit thick and I needed to understand what was happening. <laughs> so then he's like, you know what? After this night, after she sort of, she he finds her again and she and he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm leaving for London tomorrow. I'm going to go to London and I want to make music. So I, I'm i not sure if he's like, I'm going to find her, but he's his ex-girlfriend. But at this point, she's like all f- for it. Like girl, girl is like, I'm going to help you. So they actually get a loan. They were able to like secure a loan because the guy who they go into loan, they play the music for this loan officer. And he is, yes. so, he's hilariously like, definitely has a midlife crisis band because he whips out his guitar and he's like, yes. He's like, yeah, we should all be rock stars. Mm-hmm. And they recruit a band with the other buskers and they go into the recording studio and the guy who's like the sound engineer at first is like these assholes and he starts singing his first song when you're when your mind's made up, Mm -hmm, which is so good. And then they the sound engineer is like, oh, my God, this is really good. And they're on a break. They've been working all night really hard. Things are going really well. And they're like, we're going to take 15. And she finds a piano in like an empty studio and she plays guy one of her own compositions called the hill Walking up the hill. 
it's beautiful. I actually cried when I was listening to it. My husband and I were watching it with the kids, and I, I'm like getting really. And my son's like, "What is she doing? Why is she so sad?" The next day, because again, when the whole studio sessions wrapped up, and it's like the morning, they had gone for almost 24 hours. Yeah. They really, they really got their money's worth in that studio. That's right, they did. And um, he picks he. He's waiting outside her door in the morning with his dad's motorcycle. And she's like, I have to go to work. But then she's like, well, can you get me back before lunch? And they go on this like mini road trip out to the beach. And it's romantic and amazing. And they're they're like sort of hiking through nature. And she reveals that she has spoken to her husband. And this is funny. He's like, you're married? She's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because that she's not with the guy, but whatever. But she spoke to her husband and he is coming to live with her in Dublin. He persuades her to spend one last night in in Dublin with him and she actually ends up standing him up because she's like they're like this this connection is so strong. Just one more night. We have to have one more night together, but she doesn't go. Because she tells him, yeah. if we do this, you know what's going to happen. The hanky-panky. Oh, I know. She says <laughs> the hanky-panky. She actually uses the word. She's like, why? Because it's just going to lead to hanky-panky. And it would be wonderful, but that we can't do that. And then he, the next day, goes to his dad and he plays his demo that he made for his, for his father. And his father, oh my God, I love this scene. His dad is like, it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> and he gives him money to help him get settled in London. He's like, I want you to get a, you know, get into a flat. I am right now, by the way, I want to um, strangle my family because I don't really, but just, just don't go on record for that. But like our dog never barks. So obviously the dog's barking for a reason. No one's stopping it because they know I'm recording. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not cutting this out because I want everyone to know how That's bitter right. I am about it. That's right. Bark, peanut, but anyways, bark. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so he plays his demo for the dad. The dad loves it and t- tells him this whole thing, like get, get into a place in London. I'll come and visit. And then he's like, play it again. You know, yeah, and it's, it's good. good. It's really good. Anyways, after that, he's got his money. He's heading to the airport. Before he gets to the airport, he stops at a piano shop and he buys his f- friend, girl, a piano to be delivered to her house. From the same place where they played the song together, right? The same music store. And I'm like, I hope you didn't spend your dad's money on that, but whatever, it's romantic and all that stuff. Um, And then he calls his ex and she's excited and he's like, I better go. And God, it's, the ending is, is so bittersweet because girl reunites with her hubby Mm -hmm. in Dublin and they've got the baby and they're having this like moment and she's playing the piano and that's really how the movie ends and he's off in London but it is the magic of a friendship slash very chemical chemistry moment of two people who they didn't have sexual relations right but they definitely fell in love with each other in a very specific way and they they created they created music and it is painful and beautiful to watch. So that is once. Yeah, I was very, I was a little stunned, honestly, at the end, just because, like I said, never seen it before and nobody had ever spoiled it for me. Um, and so I fully anticipated him not going back to his ex-girlfriend and her not getting well, back together with her husband. And then I was like, oh, this is so much more realistic, like. She has a child. She's an immigrant living with her mother, you know, struggling to, like, make ends meet. Her husband is coming over. They're going to try to make it work out. Like, what's she going to do? Just, like, hop off to London and 
right and leave her family behind and that's just not it's right. not realistic um but she does look like a slightly devastated at the end of the movie i thought staring out yeah. of the window forlornly after she's played yeah. and her husband's come up and like very sweetly kissed her on the head like you're doing you play beautifully kind of vibes and he's holding yeah. their baby girl and she's like wistfully looking out the window and you're just like oh yeah. Well, and in real okay, so in real life though, after this, they did have a bit of a romance, I think. Oh, did uh, they? I did I did not realize that they were such a difference in age, but yes, they had a, they were together. They did not get married. She married someone and had a husband from 2011 to 12 and that's it. Um but they did start they they performed and toured with a band called The Swell Season. And actually, like I said in the beginning of our little chatting, they are reuniting to do, they're doing an East Coast uh, in the United States tour just um, from like, it's happening starting March 11th to March like 17th or something like that. Of right now? For the 15 year anniversary of this musical. So it's kind of perfect. Kind of dropping as like a, if you live on the, in the, on, in, on the East Coast. Go check it out, guys. Get into it. Fall slowly into that concert and love it. I know. So good. good. So good. I loved it. Um, did, were you going to do any like reviews or anything or shall we move on? No, to... I didn't do any reviews. I just I just was like enamored by it. It's so good. I saw one thing in my Googling that it wasn't a review. It was just I think it was Steven Spielberg who somebody asked him, you know, like, has anything inspired you or motivated you? And he's like, I just saw this lovely little film called Once. That has filled my well of inspiration. It should last me at least the rest of the year. Wow. And so I was like, well, all right. Then I was like, I should probably watch it. <laughs> That's great. All right. So <clears throat> I'm glad you did. Yeah. It's like, I can't believe I'd never seen it. And I knew when we were going to do it, I always planned on watching it. I didn't know I was going to push it till, you know, hours before we recorded. But I'm kind of <laughs> glad I did because it, it's very much presently living in, in my like my mind and my body um and it was a really beautiful movie and yeah the music was just everything you wanted a movie like that to be Mm -hmm. and full songs you're right not like little moments like full start to finish songs which is like i love the moment where she goes because she's so poor and she needs batteries to listen to her music she's trying to write her own songs and that's kind of how she did it was by listening to her tape right and she didn't have batteries so she steals money from her little kid and goes down to the bodega Gets batteries and walks in her jammies and sings an entire song. It's amazing. Yeah. He's like, would you try writing lyrics to this song I wrote that I can't figure out the lyrics for? And she's like writing them and then the batteries die. And they're great. And I would, I kind of wanted to see her come to him with that and have them like do it together. But it was, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, there was a lot of other songs going on. Yeah. So for the crime portion of Rom Crime, um, obviously I wanted something related to music. I was mm-hmm. like, have any musical duos committed murder or been murdered? Um, what about just like weird famous Irish murders since it takes place in Dublin? I couldn't find anything that like spoke specifically to this movie. So I just stuck with the theme of love and music. And then I everything else about the story and crime I'm going to tell you about kind of lives in the opposite place of once. So okay. I'm going to tell you. The story that you've probably heard, but maybe don't know all the details of. I'm going to talk about Sid and Nancy. Ah. They call them punk rocks, Romeo and Juliet. I, I think that's misguided. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, two young people 
in the music scene, in love, tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. But, you know, other than that, no similarities. They, she wasn't even a musician. They were not singer-songwriter types. They weren't lovely, gentle souls who were kind. Um, there was a lot of drug use and violence and then ultimately death, uh, murder, if you will. Mm. But I figured love and music, baby. That's my tie-in, love and music. <laughs> so there's a lot of... Uh, documentaries about this there's a very famous 1986 movie starring uh gary oldman and chloe webb called sid and nancy and really depending on the source you get really 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 different pictures of nancy so if you read or watch anything with the you know the members of sex pistols or like people that were in that scene that you know really like loved sid vicious like, sh- they are horrible about her. Really? Just straight up horrible about her. Um, I was listening to another podcast that was covering this, and <laughs> they called her, she's the Yoko of punk. Oh. Like, and once again, I say, F you guys. Like, everyone makes their own decisions. Absolutely. You know what? Like, a woman doesn't come in and ruin or take over the mind of a man and start making his decisions for him. So he chose Nancy. She didn't steal him away. So I wanted to kind of give you a a more rounded picture of Nancy. And then I'll tell you a little bit about Sid, and then we'll talk about the two of them together. So Nancy Laura Spungen was born on February 27th of 1958 in Philadelphia to Frank and Deborah. And from birth, like from the moment she entered the world, it was difficult. So she... um, I can't remember what it's called, but you know when like the umbilical cord wraps around a baby's neck and like cuts off their oxygen? So that's how she was brought into the world. She was in the hospital after birth for a week with complications from that and jaundice. And then they finally were able to take her home. And she straight up, according to her mother in the book her mom wrote, uh, she cried and screamed 24 hours a day, never stopped. There was, they could not calm her down. And at three months old, when they finally went to a doctor and they're like, please help us, like our child, we, we don't know what we're doing wrong, but we cannot make her happy. Like she's always crying. The doctor, and remember y'all, this is the 1950s, um, prescribes three-month-year-old Nancy with liquid uh, phenobarbital, which is a barbiturate. So at three months oh, old, God. she had her first uh, hard drugs prescribed by a doctor. But uh, her childhood continued to to be a difficult one. The, her parents ended up having two other children, another daughter and a son. Um, Nancy pretty much tortured her younger sister, but she took a shine to her little brother a little bit more. Um, but she was prone to violent, violent out- outbursts, outbursts. But she was also highly intelligent. At, at age three, they like took her in to see a therapist and they gave her an IQ test. And she was already talking, walking, and was potty trained by the time she was two. And she was reading at like a seven-year-old, like she could read. She was like at a seven-year-old mental level at the age of three and a half. So she skipped a bunch of grades in school. And even though she was very, very bright, she also had a really hard time making friends, a really hard time with relationships. She's in and out of different therapies. She gets kicked out of schools a lot. There was a couple of instances where... I guess she like attacked or tried to attack a babysitter with scissors. Um, and then at the age of 15, they took her to a clinic where she was diagnosed by the physician she was seeing there as schizophrenic. However, 
that information was never relayed to her parents, and they only found out that she had been diagnosed as schizophrenic at the age of 15 after she died, and all of her medical re- records were released to them. So I what? think, again, this comes back to the time period, because after this doctor diagnoses her with schizophrenia, they also are like, we are not equipped to handle this. And then they're like, okay, what should we do? And they're like, <laughs> So I don't know if that it was like that well-researched yet, or like that that psychiatrists and psychologists even really knew sure. what to do other than like, we don't know how to help you. Um, so they sent her to like special schools where they're paying, you know, it's like small classes and she on and off does well, kind of depending on the situation. So she starts doing really well when she gets a boyfriend in high school who's in the band. So she's going to this like school for disturbed youth. A couple of guys formed a band and she starts dating one of the guys. And for like a solid year while they're together, she's like so much more mellow and content and happy and social. And she's making friends and she gets into photography. And then um, he like drops out of the school and she never sees him again. Anyway, she ends up graduating at the age of like 15. Oh, wow. Decides that she wants to go to college and takes the SATs. I believe is the one. And she's that's one of them. Yeah. And she scores a 1030, which is a very very high score. I don't remember what it is from Saved by the Bell. That's like the perfect score. But I think it's 1050 or something or 1100. I think it might be 1200 or 12. But let me look it up. I was going to say, how well did I do on my SATs? I think you just all found out. Um, And she got accepted into the 1600. 1600. Oh, geez. Okay. But it's still like a decent score. So she gets into. I mean, it was more than I did. Yeah, I don't remember mine, but I don't think it was that good. Um, I think uh, that's a pretty good score. She's also 15. So she goes, she applies right. and is accepted to the, universe, uh, the University of Colorado in Denver. And she's really, really enjoying it. And then on the flip side, her family, God bless them, they love her. But life is so much easier when she's not around that they're also quite happy that she is no longer living at home and she's doing really well. <sighs> in college for about five months now she gets arrested for buying marijuana from an undercover police officer strike one then she ends up getting in trouble for storing stolen skis so like a dude she was hanging out with would steal the skis from like fellow students and she let him store them in her dorm room so this results in like a second arrest and ultimately she's expelled from college and told like get out of colorado and she's devastated by this because um According to her mom, I, she thinks that for Nancy, this was the first time like her failing and basically being like kicked out of college really kind of showed Nancy that she wasn't like other people and she wasn't going to have a normal life. And all throughout her very difficult childhood, you know, she would she attempted uh, suicide. She would oh. she would have these like moments. They said she kind of go into a trance, which is probably related somehow maybe to the schizophrenia or or to all of the different drugs she was on but she would do things and then when she would be told what she'd done she would be devastated and like beg her mom to like put me somewhere I'm I'm not right I shouldn't be here you know and so she she was just devastated when she she couldn't make it work in college and she was like I'm never ever gonna be a normal person but the one through line the one thing that always 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 made Nancy happy was music when um, the musical Hair came out, her parents bought that album and came home and played it for her, and she became obsessed with it. And from then on, it was all, like, rock and roll all the time. She spent all of her allowance money on albums and records, and she was obsessed with all of it. So after coming home and just being like, I hate everything and life is horrible, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to New York 
and I'm going to get into music in some way. She's already obsessed, you know, with yeah. with all of like the biggest bands of the day. And so her parents, because they're like, okay, we'll help you out. We want you to be happy. So they help move her to New York at the age of 17. Yikes. She gets an apartment on 23rd, very close to the Chelsea Hotel, which will come into play later. Now, her parents paid her rent, but they directly paid the landlord. And her mom would come up and stock her fridge and stuff with food because they didn't want to give her money because they knew what she was going to use it for. Because I think I also skipped mm. over this a little bit. Um, one thing that happens to somebody that's got mental illness that's untreated is that they'll start to self-medicate. So at the age of 13, she right. started smoking marijuana. By 14, she was definitely messing around with pills, speed specifically. And then by the age of 16, her mom found needles, uh, syringes, and spoons in her bedroom. So she was mm. already getting into hard drugs at the age of 16. Now she's on her mm. own in New York City in the 70s. And... Um, her drug habit continues to get worse and worse and worse. So she turns to, because her parents won't give her money, she turns to uh, sex work and stripping to get drug money. At the same time, she's becoming completely obsessed with this um, like burgeoning punk, underground punk scene. So like CBGBs in Max's Kansas City and all those, mm. those bars where like some crazy wild shit went down. And she starts going and trying to get into this scene and... Because she's got, you know, stuff going on, she's definitely like a, a pretty big drug addict, so not highly trustworthy, but she was known to be kind of brash, loud, and rude, and people just didn't really like her. I That makes me feel really sad, because she's also a 17-year-old yeah. girl with, like, severe mental health issues and a drug problem, and all she wants is to feel like she fits in somewhere and that she can be a normal human being, and these... The people are kind of mm -hmm. rejecting her. Um, in fact, she gets the nickname Nauseating Nancy. And I'm just like, oh. this is a teenager. You guys are dicks. Um, but she's determined. And eventually she does start to make some friends in the scene. And she becomes like a full-on groupie. And they say the thing that separated her from like normal groupies is typical groupies looked like models, right? And they were all like high glam, super skinny, mm -hmm. sexy girls. But Nancy wasn't like that. She was um, she was considered a little bit chubby. She was not, you know, not considered like beautiful like a model, but she she came with the drugs for the rock stars. Ah. So they were like, yeah, you can go ahead and come on in because she would bring the, the party. Um, and so that's kind of how she got in. She actually claims that she had sex with every single person in Aerosmith. Ah. Um, she also said that she screwed a bunch of guys from Bad Company and the New York Dolls. And there's no one can really verify if those stories are true or if she was lying or embellishing. Um, but she was like very proud of being a groupie. And she fell in love with a member of this band called the Heartbreakers. I can't think of his last name, but his first name was Jerry. Oh, Jerry Nolan was his name. So she decides she's going to follow Jerry Nolan to London because she loves him. Mm. So she convinces her mom to buy her a ticket to go to this show in London. And her mom's like, okay, I will buy you the ticket. Um, and she doesn't really think that things are going to work out much better for her in London since New York had been kind of rough for her and she was treated pretty badly within the scene she wanted to be a part of. But she ended up staying in London for 18 months. And you want to know why? Why? Because she met a certain fella named Sid Vicious who loved Nancy <gasps> for exactly who she was. So now let me tell you a little bit about Sid and his upbringing 
So Sid Vicious was born Simon John Ritchie, which is also my nephew's name, literally Simon John, um, oh. which I think is amazing. And he was born on May 10th of 1957, and he was born to John and Anne Ritchie. Now, John, his dad, I thought this was kind of wild, was a guardsman at Buckingham Palace, like one of those dudes that guards Buckingham Palace. But then he was also an amateur uh trombone player in like the London jazz scene but he was a deadbeat dad because he basically ditched them and never gave any financial help leaving Anne to raise to raise um I guess we'll call him Sid I'm not gonna try to confuse everything um to raise Sid on her own they moved around a lot she sold drugs to like pay for things she also did a lot of drugs um but in 1965 she met a really nice man named Christopher Beverly who was like charming and had like a good family, and he was actually going to legally adopt Sid, but then tragically, six months into their marriage, he died of cancer. And so there was like this brief glimmer of them having a normal life. And then he passed away, and by the by, 1973, his mother Anne is like a full-blown heroin addict. She has no idea what her son's doing. In fact, she throws him out of the house. Like, she's like, I can't be bothered with you. That same very year, Sid met John Lydon, who would become known as Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols, their lead singer. Um, and the boys uh, became quick, you know, fast friends. They ended up quitting school and they, be- they began squatting. They both like, I don't know if they were, well, he, we know Sid was kicked out. I don't know what Johnny Rotten's story was, but they end up squatting in a bunch of different horrible places. And at this time, they get into the drugs, they get into the music scene. This is also when Johnny gives Simon John the name Sid Vicious. Now, there are two different versions of how he got the name that I heard. One was that Sid was like the least vicious person that John had ever met. So that's why he called him Sid Vicious. But the second story I like better, it's a story that John Johnny Rotten's hamster named Sid bit oh, yeah. Sid Vicious. And then the, re- the response that Simon Johns, a.k.a. Sid, had was, oh, Sid is vicious, and it just became his name. And I like that story better. So we're going to go with that. So a hamster named Sid is how Sid Vicious got his name. Okay, so we're in the 70s. We're in the punk scene in London. There's the sex um, store, which is like Vivian Westwood's you know clothing store, um, And they're kind of hanging out with all the people. They're definitely getting into drugs. And the more that Sid Vicious gets into, like, shooting speed and all that, this gentle, you know, kind of shy boy that moved around a lot, he's he's not – he's becoming less and less gentle the more – the more drugs he's doing. And also, you know, now he's like Sid Vicious and he was in this punk scene. And so he's kind of, like, taking on this persona. Mm. Um, And then in 1975, uh, John Lydon, Johnny Rotten – Glenn Matlock, Steve Jones, and Paul Cook basically get pulled by this manager named Malcolm McLaren to form a band called the Sex Pistols, which is entirely based on a look. Oh. Yeah. So like a Mc- boy band. Yeah. Like McLaren and Vivian Westward, were, they both owned um, the, the, the clothing store Sex. And so he had seen some things in New York, McLaren had, and he was like, I'm going to create this band. So Sid basically was like, the number one fan of the Sex Pistols, which is funny. So he wasn't a member, just their number really? one fan and kind of considered like the unofficial fifth member because he was at every show. He was, you know, he had the look. Daddy 
He had the look for it. In fact, maybe the best look of any of the guys in the Sex Pistols, even though he wasn't Ooh. technically one of them. So he decides, you know, okay, he wants to be in a band too. So he kind of forms this band with a bunch of other musicians. They they write songs, but they never perform. And then in, um, I think it's 1977, the bass player... Glenn Matlock either quits or gets fired. It depends on who you ask. Uh, McLaren, their manager, said that he was uh, thrown out of the band because he liked the Beatles. And then he, uh, Matlock himself said that he quit because he was just couldn't deal with the bullshit. But he was actually like the, mm. the most legit musician in the band, wrote most of the music. Um, and I guess they weren't really thinking that through when they fired him and replaced him with Sid Vicious, who couldn't even really play the bass. In fact, crazy. on their one studio album, there's only one song that they actually let him play the bass on, and then it ended up getting, they ended up fixing it by having the guitar player come in and play over it. So it was really just more about the look with Sid Vicious and the vibe, you know, like he was bringing that like rage, fucking, you know, high out of his mind energy that was what this punk scene was all about. And he kind of ends up becoming like the, you know, he's starting to, like, Johnny Rotten's probably a little bit like, oh, whoopsies, I think this guy's going to surpass my my shine, um, which mm. creates a little bit of tension. But the tension really, really starts to get bad when in 1977, a young Nancy meets a young Sid, and immediately they are inseparable. Like, they move in together immediately. And it's the first time that Nancy has ever felt like she can be herself around somebody. He loves everything about her, like, everything that she's, made fun of or hated on about he loves about her and she kind of takes yeah. care of him and she bolsters him up and she kind of speaks for him because he's very shy um but the band members and the manager hate her in fact at one point they attempted a plot to kidnap her the f other band members and their manager were trying to kidnap her by saying like we'll pick you up we're going to go see sid but they were going to take her to the airport and force her to go back to the united states but it didn't <laughs> work out Another thing that was going on at this time is even though the Sex Pistols were getting like pretty mainstream famous, they weren't actually performing very much because there were constantly threats of violence. So I guess back during like the, the 60s, the long hairs got beat up a lot. Well, now it was the punk kids. So like, I guess you would uh. say like the conservative youth would be like kick their asses or threaten violence. But this just allowed Nancy and Sid to basically hole up in his apartment and do drugs a bunch. And it is, mm. it's not 100% known if it was... Uh, Nancy that introduced Sid to heroin because she was really big into heroin. Um, a lot of people say that it was her. However, his mother was a heroin addict, as I mentioned. Right. So who knows? We know that he had a lot of practice shooting up speed. So it might have been her that brought heroin into the picture, but he was already a full-blown drug addict. Um, and so they just fell into an enable, like an enabling codependent, like little mm. nest together. And then there's going to be the big American tour. The Sex Pistols are going to go on a tour of America in 1978. And because McLaren, the manager, is all about like, really, he likes when the bad shit gets into the news. So rather than have them play gigs in New York City at like CBGB's and Max's Kansas City, he schedules them gigs in like Louisiana, Alabama, and Texas. And this tour... It, it becomes, the, it's the end of the Sex Pistols. It, the, the band oh. breaks up at the end of this two-week tour that doesn't even get finished. And most of it is because of Sid. Like, he is fully falling apart from the drugs. He does everything imaginable, you know, that 
bad that you can think of that somebody could mess something up. He nods off on stage. He gets, you know, they're in these like South towns and he's saying really bad things about like Southern people and saying words I won't say. At one point he carved because he wasn't playing music because he didn't really play music. He carved with a razor into his chest during a show. Give me a fix. And then was just like bleeding. Ew. But here's the thing. Sid also did have a history of some like serious violence pre this moment. So there was a very famous concert that he attended where a band that he was supposed to have auditioned for like the lead singer of and then he didn't go to the audition and he says he didn't go because they didn't give him the info and they dispute that. Anyway, so he's there seeing them and then he gets wasted and high and decides that the guy who did get the gig, he throws a glass bottle to try to hit the musician while he's singing, misses The glass hits a pillar, shatters, and blinds a girl who's standing in the front of the concert in one of her eyes. Oh, no. And he picked fights with everyone, you know? And so he's, like, known as this violent, out-of-control face of punk. But now the drugs are basically making him... It's not entertaining. It's disgusting Mm -mm. and devastating. And also, like, nobody wants to see that. And And the Sex Pistols really... They were like trying to be legit. So yeah, and punk wasn't about just being violent and druggies. No, it was, it was about, about like being anti-establishment. Yeah, and so yeah. Sid had basically started to take his own hype too seriously, and it 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 went to a place that nobody ever wanted it to go. And so ultimately, Sex Pistols are done, and he's done. And he and uh, Nancy, who was not allowed to go on the American tour, that was another part of his bad behavior because the band and um, manager refused to let her travel with them, which really pissed him off, which is fair. Um, So after that happens, the two of them end up kind of holding up again, doing more and more drugs. But they also were like, we got to like Sid is the most famous of all the people in in the scene, you know, like he was the most famous sex pistol. He was considered the real sex pistol, or at least he considered himself the real sex pistol. So Nancy's oh. like, I'll be your manager. And then Sid forms a new band with, do you remember the bass player that he replaced? Glenn Matlock? Yeah. With him. And um, a gentleman named Steve New and a gentleman named Rat Scabies, which I was just like, amazing. And they formed a band called Vicious White Kids. So it was a play on Sid Vicious. And then Glenn Matlock had a band that was called Rich Kids. So they kind of pushed them together and they had Vicious White Kids was their band. Now, they only ever played one gig. They played at a sold out crowd at the Electric Ballroom in London. And the point of this was to one, like prove that he could be a lead singer because he really proved he couldn't be a bass player. Um... And to make enough money so that he and Nancy could head back to where the real punk scene was happening in New York City. And the show was a success. Even though the show itself didn't go very well, it was sold out. Like, it was, everybody was there. So they made their money. And then uh, Sid and Nancy headed to New York where they moved in to the Chelsea Hotel, which is a very famous hotel. Famous for the likes of, uh, like, Dylan Thompson lived there. Bob Dylan lived there. Madonna lived there. I think maybe Joni Mitchell lived there. Who am I thinking of? Um, But a lot of artists lived Mm -hmm. there. But this is the 70s. It's pretty seedy at this point. Um, Oh, yeah, like Edie Sedgwick and Warhol lived there. I mean, it was like the who's who. It's why people, you know, other artists would go there, even though it was a little terrifying, I guess, at this point. So they end up in room 100 only because they accidentally set fire to their original room. Um, I'm assuming nodding off with like a lit cigarette in your hand. Uh, 
And so she becomes their ma- a manager for him. And she puts together a new band that has Sid, Steve Dior, Jerry Nolan, the guy that she followed to London, and Arthur Kane. And she gets them gigs at CBGB's and Max's Kansas City. And they draw huge crowds. And they're getting paid really well in cash, which is a terrible thing for drug addicts. Because there's right. never <laughs> enough cash. But they just I watched this one documentary where they described this of like being the kid that was bullied in school coming back to your high school reunion 10 years later as like a super famous important right. person. You thought I was nauseating Nancy. Yeah, you thought I was nauseating Nancy and I'm not only Sid Vicious's manager, I'm his woman. Like he mm-hmm. picked me and all the ladies wanted him and he picked me. Also fun fact, apparently Sid was a virgin before Nancy. Just Whoa. just to like point out how much there was so much weird stuff going on. Like Sid is already violently like addicted to drugs and getting ragey, but he's still a virgin. Um, that's a complete side note. I just forgot to mention it before. Yeah. Um, okay. So they're kind of like the queen and king of the punk scene, but also not. I mean, they're also just junkies and hanging out with a bunch of other junkies and getting high as often as they can. And then on October 11th of 1978, they're going to they're, they throw a party in room 100 at the Chelsea hotel. And at this party, Sid took 30, 30, three, zero, two and all tablets, which is a uh, type of drug you give cancer patients to basically like knock them out from feeling any pain towards the end. So 30 would probably kill like a tree. <laughs> um, but he took 30 to an all tablets. And while a whole party was going on around him, people were coming and going all night long. He was basically passed out unconscious on one of the beds in the room. And many people could verify this. Um, and then the following morning at 11 a.m., hotel staff found the body of Nancy Spungen on the bathroom floor dead from a stab wound to her stomach. And they found Sid wandering around in the hallway. Uh, so police arrive, and initially he says he killed her. And then he's like, no, it was an accident. She fell on the knife. And then he said he could not remember what happened. What? But he's arrested um, and charged with second-degree murder because he you know, basically said he did it at one point. Um, so he's released on $50,000 bail. And this is like big time, like tabloid news. They're all over the covers of the tabloid. He murdered his girlfriend. Um, but he gets out on $50,000 bail. And so while he's out on bail awaiting trial, he um, slit his wrists with a broken light bulb. And then when the EMTs came in to like help him, he tried to run and jump out the window screaming, I just want to be with my baby. Um, so hey. then he was um, basically checked into Bellevue hospital and was held there for a while and was released on november 26th so he gets out and apparently he starts dating again even though he's constantly talking about his baby nancy and you know like wanting to be with her but he starts dating an aspiring actress named michelle robinson and um on december 5th they went to the hurrah nightclub where he ended up getting into a physical altercation with todd smith that would be patty smith's brother todd And he basically broke a beer bottle and slashed Todd's face with it, which required stitches. And so he is then arrested for this assault and sent to Rikers Island and where he's going to be held for a forced 55 day detox. Like not only like you got to go to jail for assault, 
but you got to get clean, dude, because you're out on bail. And like, we're going to have to take that away unless you complete this program. So while he was in jail, Sid's mom would come and visit him and she would smuggle heroin in her vagina to give to her son while he was in detox. And I listened to a podcast, Vanya, called the SVU pod. And when they got to this part, they described the vagina as nature's pocket. And I've never heard anything funnier in my whole life. And I just felt like I needed to share that. Like she was like, so she smuggled the drugs in her pocket. And then one of the hosts was like, well, nature, or or her vagina. And she's like, well, nature's pocket. I was like, (laughs) I have to somehow give that a shout out. But also gross. Like mom, don't, Give your son drugs. He's in detox. So then on January 18th, Sid's back in court and is told that he would be basically released on $10,000 bail after he completes the detox, which surprised people. The ju- they didn't think the judge was going to be quite as lenient. But he's like, once you finish de- like detoxing your 55 days, $10,000 bail will get you back out. So on February 1st, 1979, he's released. And a party is thrown in honor of him getting out of jail or detox at his girlfriend's house on 63 Bank Street in the West Village. And immediately, of course, he's looking for heroin. He's looking to score. And he gets some from a friend or from his mom or from, a, you know, there's a lot of like nature's very, pocket. Nature's pocket provided some, some more. Uh, but, you know, he's been, de- even though his mom was <laughs> supplying him from her nature's pocket, while he was detoxing obviously wasn't a lot so this is why a lot of people when they relapse die yeah because the yeah. tolerance that he had before he went in does not stack up to where he's at but he does the same amount of drugs and that's basically what happens here so he ods and in the following morning his mom and girlfriend michelle they find him dead he has passed away of an overdose and then this was like a weird fact I, I don't know exactly how or why, but it said after he died and like the medical examiner and all everything was done, they could not get a single funeral home or funeral parlor in this in the city of New York to take his body. Like they didn't want to be associated with the ones that buried Sid Vicious's body. So Anne was forced to cremate him. She then called Nancy's mom Deborah and said, "Could she could she spread Sid's ashes on her daughter's?" grave so that they could be together eternally which was you know what they wanted and her mom was like hell no but she did anyway Mm. (laughs) she drove to philadelphia and against nancy's mother's wishes she sprinkled his ashes on nancy's grave which part of me thinks probably nancy would have would have liked she was i'm sure she was crazy for this guy um and let's see i just lost my place Oh, and then his mother says that he did not OD accidentally, that it was suicide because it was part of a suicide pact that he and Nancy found. And she said that she found a handwritten note in his pocket that read, I promised my baby that I would kill myself if anything ever happened to her. And she promised me the same. This is my final commitment to my love. So his mom thinks that he committed suicide because they had promised if something ever happened to the other. Ah, and after that, Wait. they basically closed her case because they're like, well, he's dead and he did it. Um, but here's the thing. There are a lot of people who don't think he did it. And I'm one of them. For two reasons that I saw in a documentary. One, he took 30 of those pills, right? Which may- basically means he, he, was un- he, he couldn't have been conscious to do it. And even if he was conscious, he probably wouldn't have had the strength to pick up a knife, let alone pick one up and thrust it into somebody. And then the knife, by the way, was pl- was found wiped clean 
and placed in a weird place, like on a suitcase, suitcase, but in full view. Oh, okay. Because so, I had a theory, uh, and I was like, okay, that d- doesn't hold up. Well, no, because tell me like, your theory. Maybe she, well, my thought was like, she goes in, thinks he's dead, and she's like, I'm going to kill myself. Oh. But I don't know how she would, you know, because that's like the true Romeo and Juliet thing. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be something? So that was not something I read. However, another theory is that she stabbed herself trying to get his attention because she had she had like slit her wrist before when they were fighting and stuff like that. You know, oh. they didn't have a, a healthy relationship. I hope I maybe didn't get that across very well. But no, um, you definitely did. Okay, definitely but uh, <laughs> so some people thought she maybe had stabbed herself, thinking like this will get his attention. He'll come out of this comatose state, and then didn't realize how effed up he was, and she bled out because she was took her. They said it took three hours for her to die, and instead of going oh, for sad. help, she crawled into the bathroom. Sid also said she fell on the knife. Some people are like, I guess that's possible. Um, but the other but why, what? But the other no. thing is, is, as I mentioned, there was a party going on that night and people were in and out all night long, including several drug dealers. And they got paid for all of those gigs they were doing, like thousands of dollars in cash, which they kept in a bedside table, which was not there when they, when they arrested Sid. The money was gone. And a lot of people believe that there was this drug dealer who they called Michael who was an actor who lived in a different room in the Chelsea Hotel. Um, They believe he did it, that she probably caught him trying to steal the drugs and the money and confronted him because she was not a a flower. It's like a wallflower. So she tried to confront him and he stabbed her. And that would kind of explain the fact that the, the murder weapon was wiped down. The police did find six different fingerprints in the hotel room that um, were in a police file, meaning they ran the prints and got a name, meaning it was somebody with a criminal record mm-hmm. because they didn't mm-hmm. fingerprint anybody who was at the party. They didn't even want to talk to anybody. They just said Sid did it, but they have to do like the scene, you know? Um, and so they're all convinced that it was probably a drug. A lot of the people who were hanging with them that night are convinced that it was a drug dealer who was probably trying to steal money and drugs and somehow got into an altercation with Nancy about it. And she ended up dead. Um, and then some people, yeah, and some people do think Sid did it. For me, it's not that I don't think he was capable of doing it. Um, he was a violent, violent person. He injured a lot of people. He blinded an innocent girl. Their relationship was mm-hmm. violent. He was known to beat her. And she would tell, like, her mom, when her mom would ask about it, she would say, like, it was some, like, you know, another junkie had beat her up. But it was it was always Sid. So he was not mm-hmm. a good, like, I'm not trying to say, like, he was a good guy. But based on the number of eyewitnesses that were at the party that night that can verify the amount of drugs he had taken and how like fully dead he looked on this bed to me that paints, you know, like a reasonable doubt that he was even capable of doing it. So I don't know. I don't know if um, any of our listeners have some opinions or more information that I left out. Uh, So this is my horribly unromantic crime story (laughs) of two people that, believed that, you know, codependence and shared addiction meant love. And it ended in tragedy for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is sad. I, You know, I actually didn't know the story of Sid Vicious and, and Nancy. Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy, yeah. The 80s were obsessed with it. They really were. Um, It's a fascinating. I never actually saw the Gary Oldman movie, and I wanted to watch it, uh, but it's not streaming anywhere. <laughs> which is weird. Yeah. I was like, that shouldn't be possible, but it is. Uh, and so I will check that out, but I've heard that it's a, a relatively accurate portrayal other than the, the murder itself. They kind of 
do something different with that where they just they kind of I think what they decided to do is it's like they make it look like she's begging him to stab her like she's goading him oh. she's like do it do it but that by all accounts had nothing to do with how it went down as far as anybody knows but um mm. this was the only thing I could come up with cuz once does not inspire thoughts <laughs> of horrible things so I was like what is something that just immediately jumps out when I think of like love the music scene and tra- and like murder and, and this ending was, up not together and ending up yeah. not together although they did end up together in death you know he's right. sprinkled true, true, over true. but um yeah i came up with this guy so we'll see what i come up with for our next one too these are getting so lovely i think you're making going. me soft vanya i'm having a heart i'm like well this is just lovely there's no bad story <laughs> to tie into this <laughs> well uh Avern, we won't tell you guys but we have some surprises for you in april yeah. so we're super stoked. Get excited. Mm-mm-mm. Inspiration's uh-huh. going to come mm-hmm. in a different way. That's right. What? what is she talking about, guys? I guess you have to wait and find out. That's right. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We do appreciate it. We love you. And we will see you next Tuesday. Long cry.